everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast with a bunch of writers sitting around drinking and talking about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Today's panel is John Schmidt, David Welsh, Raymond Miller, and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 68, Sympathy for the Devil. I am very excited about this, and I talked to all the guys into coming on. We're going to discuss bad guys. If you're writing a play or a screenplay or a book or a short story or a song, somewhere in there, there has to be an idea of what the bad guy is. And so I just want to say, what are, what are your favorite bad guys? Go around. John, tell me some of your favorite bad guys from movies or books. I don't have any favorite. I don't have any favorite bad guys, but I have my bad guy du jour. And I have to say, it's so sexist. Well, right now, since I'm rereading Dune in anticipation of the unreleased and soon-to-be-delayed movie, so my favorite bad guy there is probably actually Dr. Yue, as opposed to Baron Harkonnen. But uh, it could just be the General Sandworm is the bad guy. The, the My question back to you is, are we talking about bad guys and they all wear black hats and they ride big dark horses? Are we talking anti-heroes are we talking the protagonists spoils which would make them antagonists let's call them the antagonist for the stories mm. okay that way, in that it doesn't case, have to be i don't want to use villain or villainess or have to gender it let's just say what are the foils the antagonist <laughs> part of the story i want to saber instead i'm going to say my favorite antagonist is the weather Okay. Uh, specifically, the little goth girl who freezes to death in the famous story by Jeannie Warner. The antagonist <laughs> is the storm. But moving on. But that's not really true. The antagonist is the society, uh, the personification of the society that has put her in this dilemma and and done this disservice to this poor waif who uh, who has died because. Um, because the social contract has failed her. The weather is just an agent. See, one of my favorite bad guys is actually based on that whole, when Dickens was writing about social consciousness and social contract, give it up for Uriah Heep. So good he was a rock band and the name for false sink offense everywhere. Lindsey Graham, what a Uriah Heep to our president that guy is. Uh Bonnie, well, brown noser. Evil to the core. all the way back to Shakespeare and and uh, Lear who not Lear um, Othello who had his of course Iago Iago that was on my but, list <laughs> oh who else is on your list who's on Dave's list Dave what um, give us another bad guy I have I'm, I'm kind of like John I don't have a favorite bad guy um, uh, there are a lot of very good Shakespearean bad guys and. Um, you can use them as examples for what the um, what the function of the bad guy is supposed to be. That's something I'd like to talk about later. Is what is the function of a bad guy or oh, yeah. of an antagonist? Um, why is it in the story at all? So I have um, one, but um, oh well. But to answer your question, and another example of one that doesn't particularly have a a human uh, antagonist is Moby Dick, right? Oh, that's not. Is bad. the whale uh, a personification, or is it just a, a, a for nature? I mean, the the real story is Ahab's obsession. I think Ahab is the bad guy. You can make that Greenpeace you know, would agree. Argument, yes. Right. Yeah. 
I, mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna change my answer and state unequivocally that Tim Curry is my favorite bad guy, no matter what role he's playing. <laughs> well, I have a I have a fight for you because I actually like Alan Rickman as my favorite bad guy. Because oh, he's cute. I knew he was gonna come up. You know, between Sheriff okay, Nottingham and Hans Gruber, you know. That's a good point. Why did you say cute? Well, because he he has this amazing voice, and it speaks right but to my. But cute ears. is not. It, it's, the cute is not um, the, I don't know. I mean, it's substituting for some other word that you want to use, but. No, not um, even necessarily. Orange. I mean, that sort of skips ahead to a different important thing of like, we have what to love bad guys, bad guys, whether we love to hate them or love to love them. You got to love them because. Well, right. you got to have a strong them. emotional reaction to them. I think that's one of their functions. Exactly. Right. And I'm talking um, about as the writer tier too. It's like you have to love your bad guys. Mm-hmm. You do because if you don't love them, you don't understand them. And Ender was right. Uh-huh. Huh. Uh, good Orson Scott card reference. How about uh, Ray? About Who's your Ray favorite too. bad guys? Or you know, your- I, I this is very interesting conversation. You guys brought up a lot, and I and instead of working my way uh, up to my favorite, and it wasn't until this afternoon I realized it. It's Zuko from Avatar. I'm not sure if you were familiar with mm. the show but he, he's avatar? a kid yeah yeah the last the last, avatar, airbender. The last, the airbender. last airbender yes oh, oh okay yes <laughs> not the movie not the, the cartoon near the anime or whatever they're calling it this week yeah uh-huh. definitely zuko just the, he has this character arc that you just why doesn't he give up why does he keep coming after his kids he's getting on my oh poor zuko and yeah <laughs> talk about your sympathy for the devil yeah the first hannibal lecture i saw was the one played by brian cox and he was far more frightening to me than any of the other Admiral Lecters have ever been because he was polite and urbane and brilliant. And just by being a friendly, affable, brilliant sort, you could see, oh, he's going to escape from prison and do horrible, horrible things. <laughs> and he's so charming and so likable, whereas all of the other people played Hannibal Lecter. Like, you walk into the room, I'm like, oh, I sense there's a snake in here somewhere, you know. <laughs> I, I had a hard time setting aside my disbelief until he was played by somebody that was just, oh, a little charming, you know. I like he that. Better, I think. Huh. So uh, uh, there seems to be a theme developing here that I actually had kind of anticipated, and that is um, the villain, as far as getting an emotional reaction from the villain, uh, we're talking a lot about movies and TV shows and stuff where the acting or the, um, the visual um, part of it is um, a big part of that. Right. So um, do you have, we did, we did talk about Shakespeare and so forth, of course, but, um, uh, but if you look at, uh, if you look at movies and, and, and even the theater um, you see villains that, you know, literally kind of quote unquote come to life. Um, and that's a big part of our investment in them. Um, sometimes it's even, you know, sometimes it's fan service as well, right? Oh, I like that actor. I like Alan Rickman or I like, uh, um, you know, Tim Curry or whatever. But um, so all of these things come together. And uh, I would argue that the common theme among them is they all um, are emotional investments in that uh, character. Well, they have to have the strong connection to the protagonist, too. I mean, we have to care. but Right, but we're not talking I'm- about protagonists right now. Yeah, but when I, so I'm talking about the Unless antagonist. you want to compare and contrast. Yeah, boy. Flowers in the Attic. It was a horror book. It was gothic horror. And I read it back in, oh, God, like fifth grade. 
And it was about children being shut. And basically, it was about child abuse, incest, and demonizing religion. And the, in the beginning of the book, Olivia, the grandmother, is the one who sh- shuts the kids up there and starves them and mistreats them, blah, blah. And then it becomes the mom. And the horror about it is, is when everything starts turn, everything that you're supposed to love turns again. It was one of those truly horrific bad guys to me. And they were the first of the female bad guys that I'd ever seen outside of Disney. Oh, you want to talk about a truly horrible um, antagonist? Um, Chaz Brenchley's The Garden. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is good. Everybody read it. No, it's horrible. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's disturbing. <laughs> Which, you know, that can be, a, a, that can be a, a legitimate function of the villain, too. I mean, you. But there's, there you have what is, one. they have to be a worthy opponent to the hero. Right. Yes. Well, no, I don't, you know, I'm not even sure that's that important. They have to, they have to advance the plot, or they have to create the, they have to create a problem for the hero. But depending on the genre, the genre, it, it really doesn't. Um, you know, it can be, it can be almost trivial, or it can be in, unsolvable, which is another, you know, well, trope. I would but, say that somewhere um, in there, there's got to be some kind of clear morality that may just be alien. I mean, to a certain extent, let's... No, no, I, I strongly <laughs> disagree with... The, don't, don't go with alien. No, they're, they're there to show the depravity of the worst of human nature. And you, you will not convince me that they're showing you anything other than human nature. Hmm. It's horrible, human nature. It is, um, you know, I say the same thing about our current crop of you know select politicians not i'm not going to name names but well said um, you know they're they're um the the common um reaction on both sides these days seems to be to um dehumanize the other and that is um one incorrect and therefore um not productive Mm -hmm. um but also they are by definition human you're you are you're what you're trying to do is um and there's a concept from a book uh by a security guy named uh, gavin de becker um and he was in the news a couple years ago anyway um but his point was that um all these depraved things that um child molesters and rapists and murderers do they are all human and, and the reason that we try and dehumanize them is because we don't want to admit that that's part of human nature but human nature is human nature. It encompasses the best and the worst of okay. everything humans do. All right. I need you to fit the alien queen from alien into that theory. She's the, the protect- alien queen. She's the antagonist. She, she is She is not a human antagonist. She is a... a yeah, but we um, weren't anywhere said that they all had to be human. Well, if you're, there's a different kind of story then, right? Uh, Moby Dick, the, the ant- antagonist, at least the, on the surface. Is, no, 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 no. You don't get to you don't get to redefine stories. We're we're talking about the bad guys, even if they aren't guys. Well, I'm talking right. about I'm talking about the the villain or the antagonist in there. Okay, so they have so, their own so needs. They have their own science and, fiction. Okay, sure. You have All to the background them. You have to. They have to have needs and motivation. I'm saying All that right. there can be as important to figure out as your protagonist. Okay, but in that case, it's a um, the story is about is about figuring out some, the, the alien becomes then sort of a, uh, a force of nature or a mechanism to figure out. It's not, it's not human nature. And if, and if it is, like in, in Star Trek, all the aliens, aside from being all bipedal humanoids, right, right, right. 
um, they are all in one way or another human characters. Um, well, okay, um, hold on. If I if I may jump in here, let's go back to the alien the alien queen being a humanoid, and maybe me, it's me projecting my human you know nature upon her, and I, I could grant that. But it's this: you're going against someone who's just drive to procreate or to establish themselves. This kind of colonialism. You know, they're, they're here. They're not going away. We can't stop them. And, and what are we going to do? So that, that fear, I don't know about you, but when I'm watching those movies, it's that fear that kind of kind of drives me. You know, where are these things now? And, and, and she just Wait, keeps so who making you, them to keep going. So who are you calling the, the, the colonial? Is it the, um, is the, it the humans or is it the alien? Yeah, okay, maybe it's, I would say I would say in this when I'm watching it, it would be. Oh, I guess we could reverse that, but it would be the aliens. In you can that watch they Alien. Are so what? Yeah, you yeah, can watch just... Alien and see a story about a mother trying to protect her young and being being thwarted by uh, colonialists. Well, I watched Suicide Squad and I saw three beautiful relationships and good parenting advice. So, <laughs> but um, I mean, yeah, there are oh. human characteristics ascribed to the the alien. Um, the, the drive to procreate and to protect her nest. I mean, granted, you, you, <laughs> it's kind of tough to identify her because she's murdering people. Um, but and, it's, well, just, you and, know, just, it's like figuring yet, if, it out the way we did in Ender's Game, you know? It was... If, if you hadn't poked her with a stick, you would have a problem. Let's get back to what are the characteristics now that we've identified some bad guys. <laughs> See, now that's why <laughs> you know, I... We, I saying that you're, you're defining moral from an absolute and we can have a whole long episode on morality, yes. but I, mm-hmm. I am saying that having a code, I think it's important that each villain has their own code, whatever that code may be. And the whole point is that it's in opposition to the drives and desires of the protagonist. Sure. It's, it's a part of the plot and um, the, it's, that part has to make sense. It has right. to make internal sense. It doesn't have to make sense with right, the rest of right. the world at large, but um, which is true of the the plot as well, or in the and the world if you're world building, right? Right. I mean, I read mm. horror short stories that uh, Mark uh, Pantoja from my writers group used to bring in, and everybody would squirm. But I used to love his little bastards. I mean, he wrote little psychopaths. <laughs> except there was one that it was it was like clearly he was an abused child, and everything had gone wrong. His father, blah blah blah. But I had to say, it's like, Mark, right here, he stiffed the bartender. And you lost me at that point because it did not jibe with everything else he did that, he, you know, he would have been the sort of have sympathy for the underdog. The minute he started stiffing his wait staff, I'm like, ah, fuck him. I hope he gets cut apart into a dozen pieces by the end. <laughs> and so that's the, there, there has to be something that you can love or understand and make relatable. Like Darth Vader was this huge bad guy. And yet... Mm-hmm. I sense there's conflict in you and suddenly all as an audience is, is there, wait, is there, I never saw it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it created that and that, that interaction because he had right. a goal like Tarkin, Grand Moff Tarkin had a whole book written about him of how he just wanted to make the universe a more orderly place and eliminate all this favoritism and nepotism. And he wanted to drain the swamp and, you know, he had good intention, which is, was badly led astray. Right. Well, I mean, you can. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, there, there is a wide range of, um, of, um, 
I don't know, likability. That's not the right word, but um, you know, everything mm-hmm. from the alien who's completely alien and uh, to a villain that, you know, you're supposed to sort of like, and who might even wind up being the bad, the, the good guy. What about um, Dr. Horrible? Who's the bad guy in that one? <laughs> I think we all know that he was the bad guy, but he was also, <laughs> that's, that's going into anti-heroes, which we'll save for another episode. I actually wrote him down. Exploring motivation of Dr. Horrible. Yes, yes. But okay. we're saying there's, you know, there's, there's three different kind of, actually, there can be like no sympathy. Like, we have no sympathy for Palpatine. We learn sympathy mm. for Vader. And then there's we the volatile ones. Of, I, I wanted to hold out to you that Michael Corleone is a villain. Discuss. Yeah. Uh, um, I, yeah, I read, I read that in my, doing my research today, and I still have a hard time. I know it's true. But I'm like, ah, oh, but it's Michael Corleone. Oh. Isn't there that oh, beautiful God. moment when, they, when his kids, at, he's at the baptize him and he's like, do you renounce Satan and all his works? I do renounce him. Somewhere the door opens and more people get blown away. <laughs> but I, I, yeah. it would be easier to accept that if I hadn't seen the first Godfather and see the, I don't know if really if it's hero's journey or not, of Michael going through, coming back home and, and loving his father and, and, and trying to get everything done. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess it's just the, his, char- his character arc took a left yeah. turn there. Yeah. Yeah, well, back to anti-heroes. Point of it. <laughs> yeah. You could look at Morgan Le Fay as being somewhat volatile. She had her own goals for things back in, you know, mm-hmm. the, the different Arthurian stories of it. Uh, well, she was yeah, not. And her, yeah. You know, was, we have. She sympathy. Was not I was going to say we have sympathy for Loki. Sometimes he's a good guy, but mostly he's a bad guy. And then she just seemed kind of wildly, how did we get from there to there? Morgan, was she just one of his sisters? Was she a good kid? What happened? So so we've named some of them. And Mm -hmm. let's talk, because we could go on talking about individual reasons and heroes and anti-heroes and bad guys um, all night. What are the characteristics of why a bad guy at all? Well, I think um, that you need the bad guy as a foil to advance the story for the good guy. In a lot of ways, he has to have something. I mean, yeah. Can we just can we just stipulate that we're talking about a, a, a bad guy then who's not an anti-hero and um, yes, you know, is, yes, okay, yes. bad guys oh, not so, yes. anti-heroes. <laughs> and right. I in know that case, to, in that case, I agree with Jeannie. Yeah. Maybe for the first time in months. <laughs> okay, so what are the characteristics of this plot mover? Well, I think they create they yeah. create a problem for the the hero, and again, you know that doesn't conflict. have to be a conflict. Yeah, yes, essentially, right. Well, well uh, that's the thing is we have to have it's a, they have to be real. You know, they have to be just as real as the hero does, even if we don't know much about them. Hmm, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, it's a very, very good. So, point. do you think um, then, from a writer's standpoint, that there are a lot of a lot of writers out there who have reams and reams of background on their on their bad guys that just never makes it into the book? Well, it all yes. makes it into the book, one way or the other. Oh, well, no, no, there have been some very flat bad guys. Oh, I just want world domination again. <laughs> <laughs> Right. My God, you're boring. I, I love Patrick McLean's uh, exploration of bad guys through it. <laughs> I want a giant laser. Please don't say in space. In space. How did he get past my screening? <laughs> <laughs> but 
you know, they have to have their own motivation is the point. They have to have their motivation. They have to have some kind of motivation to be a a good bad guy. This is what you've said. If they're flat, they're not good. So even look and boundaries. Let's let's name a couple bad, bad guys, poor Mm. villains. Oh, Uh, bad, bad guys. Huh? That aren't aren't good at their job. No, that aren't good at the story's job. They can be entirely successful and, and destroy the world, but they're not, you know, they're the challenge is unless you're, watch or, if you're not good enough, nobody's going to remember your name. I can tell you that I read a shit ton of romance novels in my youth because my roommate Kat was addicted to them. And so she left piles. And when they had bad guys, they were two dimensional, extremely boring bad guys. And I don't remember one of them because huh. it was like, what am I here to do? I'm well, here to are, do something boring and act in very predictable ways, and I'm always going to take offense. But, but that wasn't were the there. point of those novels, though, either, really. Well, no, but the bad guys I mean, were, there, were there to provide something to advance the plot, someone for right, yep. the hero to overcome. So I can name one if you look exactly. at uh, the, the very virile Viking, uh, which I read once as, well, that's another story as part of a contest to see who had the sexier voice, me or the Russian. The uh, the two bad guys are a Hollywood producer who wants to take the man away and show him off and the an alternate vineyard guy who wants to buy the ranch these people are on. So classic bad guy, who shall pay the rent? Who saves the ranch? You can't <laughs> save the ranch unless a uh, snidely whiplash is about to take it away from you. So... Right. Well- and, and I was also but, contempl- but I can't name them. I was also contemplating boundaries because okay. you know your heroes got boundaries and the sidekicks have boundaries, but villains yes. who I, I pose here's a statement: villains who refuse to cross boundaries become sympathetic to us, like yes. the ones of blah blah. He likes whacking. Uh, was it uh, Boondock Saints El Duce? He 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 likes whacking button men, but he doesn't kill kids. Won't do kids or women. You know. So suddenly he was automatically interesting to us just by saying that. Why won't he? He's just a killer, isn't he? He, and he wasn't automatically inter- interesting to all of us, but I'm calibrated a little differently than you are. We all know that. So. That is true. Yeah. So yeah. villains who do cross the lines look much worse to us because, oh, my God, he's even willing to kill kid- you know, kids. Or- well, which, which lines? I mean, it's not just one dimensional, right? It's not. It's not orphans and and widows on one end and, you know, murderers on the other end. And where does he land on the spectrum? It's, it's his whole, um, it's his whole code of conduct that you alluded to earlier. Yeah. Or, or like there was a whole, you know, what's, what's what makes him three dimensional, you know, he, the whole movie um, over some brats shot a guy's dog. Oh my God. It was a movie franchise over killing the guy's dog. um, John uh, Wick. John, John, thank John you. Quick. Why can't I think of that? <laughs> so bad. Uh, yes. No, no. God, that's. Oh, there was more to it. And, you know, yes, there are all different shades of bad guys throughout this thing. Okay. And John Wick himself was a bad guy. So that's I'm not talking about the antihero there. It's just not talking about antiheroes. Yeah. We're just talking about the bad guys. And you're, like you're, t- you're talking about the motivation. Yes. The, the, the they fridged the dog basically to give him motivation because his wife was already dead and then they couldn't fridge her, which is a completely different discussion. But I, I'm going to take yeah. slight that the bad guys there were out to kill him for whatever reason. 
and he was out to kill them. It's a very simple story, right? Right. right. It's all in the action. So Raymond, how would right. you how would you introduce a bad guy in a story? Oh, I mean, in a movie, um, you just run French horns. <laughs> well, the the thing I'm trying to um, do is uh, is create more conflict in my stories. So, and they don't have to be direct ones. So I I find it. You know, we're all wired differently. So I find it interesting when the bad guy has done something um, and it's not necessarily against our protagonist or, or directly against our hero. But now that they have they've dropped this bomb and now they have to take, you know, our hero has to take care of it. Right. So the motivations don't always directly conflict, but because of the situation it's built out, it's got to come to the head and they got to take care of this. So I usually introduce it through that uh, initial act of the bomb exploding or the um, uh, 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 the love interest being distracted, something, something along those lines. John, how would yeah. you introduce, think of what, how do you want to introduce it in your Western? How do we introduce oh, well, that guy? What's the, the first moment? The, the thing is, is that since the Western is a coming of age novel, the bad guy is actually the societal expectations of the youth, but throwing that away, uh, he gets introduced because he immediately disses the youth because of his qualities. He's, mm-hmm. you know, he, he shows himself to be less than a perfect role model and then starts actively opposing the youth, therefore giving um, the youth something to grow against. Dave, how but, would you, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were done. Go ahead. Uh, sorry, but in, in, a, in a Western like that, the bad guy, unless they're very one-dimensional, is often the landscape. Yeah. Dave? Well, in, in traditional Westerns, the bad guy is usually... Um, usually pretty uh, traditional and cut and dried. I mean, it's one of the genres that kind of defined some of the bad guy tropes and even cliches, right? Um, how would I define, how would I introduce a bad guy? Yeah. Pick, what's, what would be a, what's your favorite bad guy introduction scene that you wrote or that you saw or whatever? Um, well, um, it occurs to me that an interesting way to, in, interesting way to introduce a bad guy is to um, not um, not show that he's the bad guy immediately. The bomb, there isn't a bomb going off or, or whatever. It's, you know, he's just part of the scenery or um, one of the characters. And as the story develops, um, you see, you know, from his behavior or from the way the plot develops that he's the problem or, or whatever. Um, I'm reading a series right now, um, called uh, odd jobs um it's a british kind of horror comedy series or, or humor series um and the the premise is that the the traditional bad guys um it, it turns things on its head a little bit it's it's kind of a cthuloid world where um these horrible alien gods have come to earth and are going to create a, a hellish doomsday at some point in the future and the protagonists are actually um there to kind of just prepare humanity for this they 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 know it's inevitable and um they're um just trying to make everybody comfortable it's kind of it's kind of um consulate as uh, palliative care um but the bad guys in these novels i don't want to give it away if you want to read them um but the bad guys in in a couple of the novels turn out to be somebody who was in the organization and was actually you know trying to trying to fight these monsters um, which, you know, normally would be a good thing, but huh. in, the, in the context of these books is a bad thing, but you don't, but you know, these, these are um, the kinds of characters that, you know, they, 
they're part of the team and then you know you realize that one of them's a mole that sort of thing i mean which i guess is a trope right especially in spy novels and tropes um, are okay though we've we've just said it's embrace tropes you just have to eschew cliches Mm -hmm. yeah so um anyway that's probably why i thought of that because i've seen it done uh twice now in in, within four books so um villains are real people you know they've just had some serious crap happen to them (laughs) Right. Well, and some of the best stories are because it's ambiguous, right? Not, not, not even as simple as an anti-hero, but, you know, is, is this person, is doing a bad thing really a bad thing? There are things to weigh that against. Yeah, Star Trek I like morality it. plays myself, but yeah. it's not Remember Star thinking. Trek with the Horda that she just wanted a place to lay her eggs and die? And... Right. <laughs> and was only so bad the, because they misunderstood her. Yeah. Right. And I would oh. argue that the, the aliens... We're the same way. Yeah, I you know was thinking about that. that. It was how um, is that um, story any different? Think about it. How is that story any different? It was um, (laughs) Paul Rudd's character. That was a villain. The guy who just hey you know we pull out of here, let them have the no, we can't. We have to bring back and we can make some money. The corporate weasel, right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right. We only all love that because we all have had corporate weasels in our lives. Well, no, but but Ray brings up a good point. You know, if if there is a clear cut bad guy here, then um, you know it's kind of pointed out to us. But he's kind of he's kind Uh of hidden in the scenery for a while. But you know, he's the one that's forcing the situation, right? He's forcing the Marines onto the planet. He's forcing the um, the conflict with the alien. The alien doesn't want any of it. Just happy if the humans went away. Uh And the humans don't aren't having it. They know their odds on a bug hunt aren't good. So. Um, you know, he's which brings me to my favorite type of villains. They're just doing their thing. It happens to mess up with the, what the hero's trying to do, and there's another, a third party that's facilitating this. It's causing it. And I think, especially now in the uh, landscape politically, that's uh, what we're dealing with. You know, not everybody. <laughs> a lot of us can let go well, of what's yeah. going on. It's just there's always so- that. Is it jets versus sharks? And then what we really need to worry about are the flames from across town. Oh God. Something Warriors like come out and play. Sometimes it's, <laughs> sometimes it's the officer Krupke who's the bad guy. Yes. Well, I, yep. it, that perfectly cues up. I found a villain characteristic checklist, which I thought was fun, but then I started looking for a few more of them and I found that there is deep sexism here. So as a chick, I had to rewrite them. And I'm going to do it and kind of lay them on you. So tell a few of the qualities. I really like these, but I rewrote them from a female point of view. Tell me what your thoughts. One is villains. She is convinced she is the heroine and good or in the right. And another one is the likable qualities. The villain doesn't have the luxury of being a fool or the bumbling girl the hero is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Disagree, but moving on. Uh, oh, it's just one possible story. She has to be a worthy enough opponent to make your protagonist look good. She's smart, fast, whatever. She has to be worthy of respect. Otherwise, right. you know, yeah, they're just going to win. And it, if it's not, it becomes a comedy. It, it, I, I don't know why it just popped in my head this episode of The Simpsons where this <laughs> guy was trying to do his stuff and, and Homer Simpson was in his way every time. He was just there. And his name was Grimy or something. I can't, I can't remember the episode. And then the guy died and Homer ended up killing him. And everyone thinks Homer's a hero. And so. Not crusty. No, it's not crusty. I'll, I'll 
yeah, I shouldn't have brought it up if I, if I can't remember it. I have to look it up and come back to it. Oh, it's going to bug me. Anyway, please, please continue with the list. She has many of the same characteristics of the hero, but they are misdirected. So I kind of liked yeah. that one as like shadow mirror of the protagonist. This one is one that I right. came back to, and, and you guys argue, but let me see what you think now that we've talked about it a little bit. You have to love her more than a little. If she's on stage or on the screen, people need to want to jeer or cheer or boo or hiss. They need to love to hate him to be a real successful. See, I Interesting. Just, I, I think that's generalizable, too. You have to have a strong emotional investment one way or the other. Right, it isn't right. a yawn. Yeah. You know, that's interesting because it, it uh, makes me think of what Dave was saying earlier about being able to leverage how they look. Right. Because um, I was, mm-hmm. um, uh, what's that thing? Hamilton. And there's a role played by the king who comes out and does a little ditty. Oh, yeah. And that is just so much fun. And here's the. <laughs> I will send soldiers to, to be... kill your family to show you my love. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it just leverages that. And you can almost dance to it. Yet he's going to kill a lot of people. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's got a beat and you can dance to it. Uh, well. Well, here's one that goes along that general idea. She should occasionally be kind, not just for show. And this is the reminder that bad people do good things sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, right. Bad people and run charities. Bad people, you know, are very active in their church. Bad people <laughs> are devoted to, you know, widows well, and orphans funds. We need more of them. Right. Well, as, as you like to point out, um, the, the villains are the heroes of their own stories. So. Well, it was, if you think of the last Batman versus Superman, whether or not you liked it, it brought mm-hmm. up the bad people can do good things and good people can do bad things and anybody mm-hmm. can be manipulated in one way or another. Right. Yes. Right. That's why I like, like, like I said, I like morality plays where, where there's ambiguity. And um, the point of a morality play is that is, is not this just that bad people do good things and vice versa. It's questioning what the, what the good thing or the bad thing is. And you're, if you've got a good villain, you're contrasting them with a hero to, to achieve that. there's one talks about the she's persuasive there Mm -hmm. has to be a reason that people go along with her yes yes and those are to me those uh, villains are more interesting when they have when they can use their words to motivate not just be brutal and punishing Mm -hmm. you know to those who to make others follow them a lot more interesting yeah and then there was other emotions just throwing out the the Back to Dave, your point of pride, deceit, jealousy, venge- vengeance, vengefulness. These are mm-hmm. these are the the villainic flaws, the same way that they are the heroic flaws. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yep, and you'll notice that they're all things that um, evoke a strong emotional reaction, right? Yeah, yeah. or our emotions. But there's the stories where the uh, you know maybe past sins catching up with us. Let's talk about when the bad guys win, because those are some fun stories, too. I mean, I will argue and I will go down on to my deathbed saying the best Star Wars was number two when the bad guys won at the end. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. In story terms, uh, I agree with you. But since it was a movie and it was obviously a setup for a sequel, um, you, can't, you can't look at it out of context text okay let's look at the princess I mean, maybe, bride. maybe we just did but okay or lord of the rings the princess bride the novel the novel not the movie mm-hmm. 
the novel, it looked right. like they were about to get away, but that was when Wesley suffered a relapse, Fezzik's wound reopened, no, Inigo's wound reopened, Fezzik took right. her buttercup souls through shoe. The end, the bad guys are going to catch because life isn't fair. Or No Country well, for Old Men, you know, Anton Chigurh walks off. Yeah, um, in both of those cases, though, it's ambiguous. It's They were both of the... Both of the times, the the villains were, um, you know, it, in the case of the Princess Bride, it was left open ended on purpose. Um, they weren't just all gunned down or something. Um, and in uh, No Country for Old Men, uh, Chigger was wounded and, um, you know, was was carrying on as he did. Um, I just think it was an interesting. An interesting place somewhere between the arbitrary <laughs> of the princess <laughs> well, bride and the inevitable. Yeah, of the well, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I would, I would argue that the, the bad guy actually winning, like, you know, the, the world domination guy actually like the, um, the Marvel movie at the end of, I mean, um, what was the one where infinity where war? Thanos, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that was, that was shocking and, and a bummer I, again, in context, it was a Marvel movie, and we knew there was something else coming out, and the possibilities are endless. So they're yes. going to pull this out somehow. But the movie itself, um, the bad guy, like, he ran the board. And it's like, wow, you know, that's that's shocking in and of itself. I got to throw an, another maker into here um, of am- ambiguous endings and bad guys winning, and that's going to be Terry Gilliam, specifically in movies like Brazil or The Fisher King where the end is rather a shock and it really is unclear who's won, whether the bad guys have, have won or the good guys finally triumphed. And um, as far as villains go, oh my God, no matter what their forces, he had great villains. So yeah, you're right about emotional reaction because yeah. Yeah. Whether it's, I mean, there's people that go to boo and hiss at things and they take just as much delight in that as <laughs> They do anything else. I mean, come on, hate watching the Patriots yeah. <laughs> or Dallas. You know, they are uh-huh. they are just pe- just as many people watch things to boo for the team as they do to cheer for their own teams. I don't That's think true. that I don't think that they do. I, don't I think will just argue that with statistics, you math lover. You. Okay. <laughs> it's a bet between Dang us. It. I'll put a link in our uh, stories. <laughs> Okay. On the website, et cetera, which is dub 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 dot writers drinking coffee. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. I would love everybody out there to go out and tell us who their favorite villains are and why. What was the what was the scene where you fell in love? I'd love to hear it. I think it matters here. Thank you guys for uh, participating in our villain fest tonight. Oh, my pleasure. We barely got started. <sighs> I know. Well, so. I, I got to warn you, I want to talk about sidekicks real soon. So go think about your favorite sidekicks. Ready? <laughs> and, and hey, if, they're gonna, if you're going to send us your villain, send us your favorite sidekick. Yeah, that'll get us started early. Definitely. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre McGaffey Schween. And our sound engineer and backup web spider is David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Made Milking a Cow. And our exit music is Breakfast with the Morning Person, both by Michael Engberg. You can hear more from Michael Engberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsor is Eternally Jackal Designs, enabling you all to buy cool WDC swag. And the bean scene in downtown Sunnyvale. Go Kenny! Go Kenny!